Okay, um, welcome to the Futile Podcast. Tonight, we got Oliver, who's uh, flying in from Los Angeles to uh, <laughs> to be a uh, our expert guest uh, today when we talk about from 1995, directed by Japanese anime auteur Mamoru Oshii. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the one of the probably more seminal films of that I wouldn't call it a genre, because as anyone that's halfway educated about anime knows, there's many, many genre within it. So, <laughs> but sure. very maybe the genre of, of, of cyberpunk, I guess, is, would be relevant. Um, uh, Ghost in the Shell. The, the one thing that's always stuck with me about this about this film mm-hmm. uh, that surprises the hell out of me is that I've, I've heard that it was only a six-month-long production. Like, that these guys just got in there and probably just lived there. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that that to me is nuts. I mean, maybe that was just the actual production time, and there was obviously like a lot of prep time into it. But I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's it's what is it like eighty five minutes or something? It, it it isn't particularly long. Yeah, eighty two actually. Right. Yeah. So that's it, not not when you think about the the credits either. Right. For that matter. But that's true. It's not necessarily pre computer, but the computers that they are working with to do stuff in this, mm-hmm. and it's not by any stretch of the imagination what we would consider CG animation. I think they were using it more for enhancement techniques. On, on right. the Blu-ray I have, they 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 have like the a couple. The two point right? They have the he changed a bunch of stuff. And... Right. Yeah. 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 On that I version. watched that version, and I was surprisingly unimpressed with it actually, because I think. Mamoru Oshii's actually gotten pretty good at blending CGI and and uh, and uh, what is it uh, cell shading, but but I was really kind of just like taken aback, almost almost insulted actually. But I've the, heard bad things about it. I've addition. never seen it. Um, I won- thankfully it includes both versions, but oh. it's like oh. oh, I didn't know that. I know. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too impressed with the the additions he made to yeah. that two point cut or whatever. I've just got the uh, the DVD, the director's mm. cut DVD. It's got a couple real rudimentary special features talking about mm. how they used um, they used some computer effect things to like do uh, like focus, like depth of field. Oh yeah, concerns where they would make it so it, and lens effects and stuff, which I thought was really kind of cool. I yeah. mean, that's one of the big things they are doing. Uh, or they did do with with the movie is they definitely it's got almost like a very cinematic quality to it. That yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of those animated films that wasn't, like, for kids. It was, it was, what is it? It was about six years, seven years after Akira sort of changed the game on everybody. And and it was another one of those that still had some really crazy, heady stuff that it was exploring. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, as much as people will talk about... Um, Oshi putting in like the people talking about philosophy scenes in his movies, and mm. he does do that. I think mm. that he's one of those directors that can get away with that because he's he keeps the vi- the visuals surrounding it interesting. It might be that two people right. have just stopped to talk, you know, but like at least in Ghost in the Shell, they're sitting on a boat and there's all this kind of interesting stuff in the background. And even if it's just <laughs> like a like a drawing, one of the things that appeals to me about a lot of a lot of anime, especially in the '90s and stuff is that you can just look at, like, a drawing of a cityscape, and there's, like, a zillion stories just in that oh, drawing. Yeah. You know, there's cranes in the background. They're super detailed. There's so much detail in those backgrounds. And that's something he and, he and um, and yeah, the guy who did Akira, I'm totally blanking on his name right now, o- too. Otomo? Yeah, Otomo. Yeah. Katsuhiro Otomo. They both are just, like, fantastic that way. Other, other directors, of course, that 
work, I think worked with the same guys. Like, I mean, you've got Rintaro and Satoshi Khan, who's now dead, and and even Hayao Miyazaki. That was something I always loved about all their work is that it's they just have so much detail and there's so much going on. You really feel like you're in a world. Right. You're not like just watching a comic or a cartoon or something like that. You know, you're it's like not a motion in comic. this world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you can totally imagine, like, oh, well, well, all this crazy fucking shit's going on, and then all this, and then there's these people just, you know, collecting garbage in the background or, or doing their day-to-day thing, right. getting interrupted by some crazy, out-of-control robot. Exactly. <laughs> like, and I think that adds a lot of depth to it, and it adds a lot of, um, I mean, that's cer- certainly what he's going for in this movie, is this, mm-hmm. whole, I, this whole, like, I mean, it's the Blade Runner thing. It's the nature. Yeah. Of, it's the perception is reality slash what is the nature of humanity in a in a world where um, artificial intelligence has become so extreme. And then in this sort of more malevolent sense, I mean, it was something I I hadn't remembered. Um, I've seen the movie about four or five times, but yeah. uh, it was it was a uh, one of the last times I rewatched it. Not the last time, but the time before that, I was struck by the scene. I just hadn't remembered it before with um, with the garbage man. Mm-hmm. They, they they capture this you know they capture this guy who they think has been working with this terrorist puppet master whatever yeah. is, is going on, and he's you know and before they ca- they catch up with him he's talking to his um to his other garbage man as they're like you said it's, it's a humdrum regular yeah. job about like his wife and and all this other stuff that's going and on his life kid. and yeah, yeah. And, and then they bring and then they haul him in um because he's inadvertently being used almost like a um like a sleeper agent. Mm-hmm. And then and, the picture is just him. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and all it's fake. like, and it's like yeah. the idea that the idea that oh yeah, if someone can can hack your brain, mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a pretty scary world in general. And and so those ideas, I mean, I'm, it's it's all becoming more and more yeah. relevant as we. You well, know, and it doesn't move feel that future. far off. You know, no, it's not like at it's all. one of those movies where the science fiction is starting to become somewhat of a science reality, like science faction, as I like to use the term <laughs> That's a good every term. now and then. It's a weird term. I stole it from this band in uh, in Montana called the the Volume, and they made this album called Science Faction, and they <laughs> they have this line about in a song called Orson Welles was right about everything, just about. Mm-hmm. And in the line, he says, this isn't science fiction, it's fact, and you should have expected that. And it's like, it's it's really strange, like, how, like, I, the more I look at, at our technology coming, going the way it is, like, you look at things, even small things like Siri on an iPhone and, right. and these tablets and being able to just, like, tap something and connect to somebody, it's like, it, it feels like we are, we we get rid of our bulky computers. Like, I mean, I'm talking to you through a desktop, which is now apparently like old school. People don't use these anymore. It's like, it's a weird world that pretty soon for all we know, we will have little electronic nodes in the back of our neck and we'll just plug into a terminal and see things through our cybernetic eyes, you know? And I mean, some, some aspects of it, I'm totally looking forward to, like I'm ready to cybernetically enhance my knees and my lower back. I mean, I'm six foot five. Gravity has just been kicking my ass the older I get. So it's like, all right, sign me up. (laughs) Where's my, uh, where's my, uh, my tougher than skin skin. Right. No, I hear you. Some, definitely, the medical aspects are are appealing, and and even and even the, the communicative aspects and the, yeah. the ability to, oh, to connect. Yeah, God, right. that just you just made me think of something else. You've heard of these three D printers, right? Right. Yeah. 
Okay, you know the beginning of the credit sequence, how it has, has that thing where it's like putting, where she's being put together, so to right, speak. Her yeah. body is put together, and you're seeing each little thing come piece, like sort of scanned together. They did this, something similar in um, Fifth Element when they reconstruct. Right, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and now 3D printers can make organ copies the same way that you see it in these freaking movies. It's it's, it's coming along, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's trippy. It always trips me out. But I don't know what's, what's weird about this movie too. Like coming from the comic book, which I was just breezing through a bit today. It's, it's like the movie and then maybe that's just Oshie's influence on it. The movie is much more of a kind of philosophical and, and statement about this sort of melding of, of digital and physical life, I think. Whereas the comic book just sort of takes a lot of that for granted and just sort of puts you in this world. It's almost even – the comic book is a bit funnier, I would mm-hmm. say. It's got all these weird little like comedic jokes going on all all the way through it until like the very end and that's when you get this whole thing with the puppet master wanting to fuse with kusanagi and and they start talking about like organisms and the difference between copying and and cell division mm-hmm. and turning that and like how he wants to become something closer to human but in order to do that he has to fuse with something that is human right even though at this point in time, the only thing that it makes her her is this weird her brain in this bizarre case, right? <laughs> sitting yeah. the, shelf, her, her, you know, her, like, her ghost in the shell, right? That's yeah, literally the, the terminology. Yeah, literally, literally, <laughs> like, oh man, I always. No, it's uh, a great, it's a great movie. I mean, and, and what I enjoy, I enjoy for it is that it, it doesn't get so bogged down in the philosophical that it mm-hmm. isn't still like an exciting. I'm not a huge procedural fan of procedural stories. But, but it's still um, a good a good cop story and a good yeah. uh, detective story and there's elements of that there I yeah that that are fun I mean like I always like the stuff when when the regular human cop Togas uh, sits there and does like an enhanced style scan and like figures out that there's like more weight in the uh, in the elevator and so he knows yeah. that there's something there's some cloaked no, what is going it on. the door the door takes an extra like half a second or two seconds to close right yeah means that some it's just enough time for somebody to slip through before the sensors think there's nobody in there. Yeah. It's oh man. It's, it's then, great. And even on top of that, I mean, you look at all the other films that this movie has influenced. I mean, the biggest ob- most obvious one being The Matrix. Yeah. It's it's just one of those films and you know it didn't do that well box office apparently. In Japan, or in- um, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how well it did in Japan. I don't. I, I'm looking at the the Wikipedia page at the moment, just to get those numbers. It says the budget was 10 million U.S., but the box office was only two, like hmm. two, two, two point three. Well, I mean, it's probably one of those slow burn kind of ahead of its time. And when you think about like what the, what the I mean, the number of screens it probably went to. Even now, there's still no. I mean, even with the the occasional Miyazaki Disney dub yeah, release over here, yeah, for sure. There's like, just nothing that happened that, that that comes out unless it gets like some kind of weird indie theater run or something. Yeah, it's nuts. But then you look at like a show like Evangelion, which has been making these movies, these rebuild movies. I guess their third rebuild movie grossed 50 million U.S. in, oh, in wow. the Japanese box office yeah it's like it was the well, number in the japanese box office i can see that yeah because they're yeah, probably like releasing it more huge. it's just more well known 
And then, yeah. I mean, and then overnight, the Funimation, Funimation, I guess they made a page and they were like, uh, who wants us to release this? Because they weren't sure. I guess, you know, it's always up in the air with what anime they're going to release. Right. They'll only do it if it's a safe bet. Yeah. And they got a million likes on their Facebook page within like a week, so they were just like, "All right, we're releasing it." Well, that's good. I mean, that's we should that. at least finish it. I mean, that, that's the frustrating. Yeah. That is the frustrating thing I, I I have always had to deal with with a lot of anime projects, and I think a, a lot of it comes down to them being adapted from from like you said from from comic books from from manga, and so they're not necessarily sure what direction they're going to go in, and then it does come down to just the crazy. Um, way in which those things are even financed and put together, it's almost it's almost even more impossible to get a good product made there than it is here in terms of like you know a movie or <laughs> or yeah. a production. When you think of all the crazy loopholes, so the fact yeah, that something yeah. like this got made, I think a lot of it speaks to that '90s bubble, mm-hmm. as they say. There was the anime, anime did well in that little um you know bit of yeah. affluence. But yeah, I mean, just just the artistry, the music. I mean, he's used oh, the same God, yeah, that music Kenji for a while. Kawaii score, fuck, yeah. so good. That right. creepy kind of kind of off kilter, like dissonant chorus. Yeah, the singing stuff. Yeah. Singing stuff is good. I I I like oh. I like the um, I like the and the, the percussion. Uh, those those weird yeah. like percussive the flo- beats. floating museum track is really good that they use towards mm-hmm. the end where it's just like. I mean, just, you know, the water dripping and all this stuff. It's just, it's just, I could just, the same with watching something like Blade Runner or something. I just, you know, get late at night sometime and just sit down and just bathe myself in the stuff. Yeah, and feel like you're, you're, just, you're so immersed in a full, a full, a full world and a full adventure and sort of this uh, bizarre, bizarre tale that um, has kind of has a point and that's i guess what i what i get from it and that's what i enjoy about it and i'll watch it every couple years becoming even more relevant as we you know as we advance technologically speaking as a society and and as a race of people absolutely you know what else is nuts about this this movie it's like it i do remember like when i first heard about it i must have been in what junior high or something that was when i think i first started getting into anime and it was one of those movies i watched because somebody told me my best friend at the time he was like oh i found this this cartoon but it's like an adult cartoon Mm -hmm. and i was like what and you know 1995 we were like 10 years old so vhs we rented it and watched it and we were just like so like it just went right over our heads of course but it looked so cool and just so as you said, immersive, like you just wanted to watch it again and again and again. And so we did, of course. And, <laughs> and, but you know, after 95, like there was nothing of ghost in the shell outside of like, I ran, I managed to find the comic book when it got released through dark horse, like at a Costco, I think in, in Hollywood or no, not Hollywood in, in Hawaii of all places. <laughs> like I bought it. And, yeah. I bought it in Hawaii and read it, read the whole thing cover to cover on the plane, the plane flight back. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is, this is the same, but it's just so different. And, yeah. and then, so there's like, so right. So that happened 95 and then there's nothing like no ghost in the shell, no nothing until all of a sudden in 2004 when, uh, he made the sequel. And then from the sequel, all of a sudden there's like these three season run TV series, uh, standalone complex and solid state society and all this other weird stuff. And now I guess there's a prequel coming out. To yeah. the original manga. That's what it um, is, yeah. And it's a, but it's a movie. It's a series of films just under the t- the title "Ghost in the Shell Arise," and I think the first one 
Yeah, the first one hit theaters in Japan on the 22nd last month, or no, or no, it's not even supposed to hit theaters until the 22nd this month. Oh wow! Or something like that. And but yet I've already seen a Blu-ray of it floating around the internet. <laughs> like it's it's weird. It's 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 that says something I think about the longevity of the story that Shirao created too. That it could people could come back to it this much later, like 10 years later. Right. And I mean, suddenly it's that much more relevant and that much more interesting and that they can keep doing it and creating it. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely am a fan of the, of the show. Um, yeah. I liked because, it too. because, because there's I, good I, characters, good music and good. Um, like I said, it's, it's still immersive. I mean, it's on a show budget, but it's still a pretty good budget. I think cause it's like a known property. So, yeah. They didn't. They didn't like necessarily skimp on on it per se, and so yeah, not much. That's for sure. So I definitely dig the show, and uh, I thought the sequel was pretty good too. The one that Oshi actually did. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sense, more of a cop like detective it. story, but I. I mean, it still looks really good, and it sounds oh, really good, uh, and yeah. it's all the same stuff. I think people might have been disappointed there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, Kusanagi in it really yeah. necessarily, but I, it yeah, kind of makes actually, sense. Yeah, I think kind of hurt it. In yeah. The- box office at least in america because everybody wanted that badass character major, yeah. <laughs> they wanted the major they wanted but it's not about the major and that's what makes it interesting is that then it gives you more of a look into the next closest person to the major who was bateau and he's he's just he's like he is the the definition of like that kind of hard-boiled absolutely yeah just grizzled by time and experience detective and you just like really want him to succeed by the end of the film you really and then of course she does make that sort of like where she shows up or whatever but yeah she downloads herself into one of the dolls (laughs) yeah (laughs) because she's floating out there yeah which is is an uh, interesting concept i guess this idea of of immortality you talk about like uh, getting your knees replaced or something it's like there's that there's that approach to it and then there's yeah. and then you talk about and that idea of the, copying oh, yourself yeah, your, yeah all download your, your brain replaced. into it and that weird moment where like well that doesn't mean that you don't die no but, you know the copy of you might live forever as a digital form and, and even yeah if i had the comic book in front of me i could read you the quote there's actually he says something about the concept like if you couldn't die like how you, it would just it's something like if you if you can't die then that just inevitably pushes you closer to catastrophe as a species. <laughs> it's like the fact that we can die is what keeps our species away from catastrophe as long as it has been, so to speak. I yeah. mean, they use the word catastrophe. I, I sort of read it as extinction. That and, makes sense. And, um, yeah, ironically, the fact that there's, that there's mortality keeps, you know, keeps us, gives us a little more reverence for life. Yeah, we know, we know exactly. it's limited and everything else, yeah. Yeah. So you said the comic is more a little more funny and yeah. And the comic, how would you how would you rate it? I guess compared to to to, to the film. I mean, is the, the, the is the film like uh, like a strong adaptation of the strongest story in the comic? Or well, that's or a good question. Really the, film, the film sort of picks different parts. It does use the um, it uses a lot of the stuff from the puppet master comes from the comic book, um, but it changes certain things, like the thing with the tank. Mm-hmm. At the end, in that one, that was like somebody took the tank. There was all some weird secret deal making 
going on, which put like section one versus section nine unwittingly, and and they gave the tank to this crazy terrorist, and she ends up you know blowing him away. But but um, but yeah, like the very first scene in the movie is the first the first scene of the comic book. It's this right. exactly the same. Like even to the is that a fact? You know, mm-hmm. like that line. <laughs> when she blows the guy away invisibly and you find out of, of course the difference in the comic is that when she disappears in the movie they don't really explain why she was allowed to get away with all that right whereas in the comic book you find out that the prime minister signed a uh, an assassination order right. for her to do it so it's like well, you you kind of glean <laughs> and maybe that's more from from my experience watching the standalone complex where you get a lot more Veramaki, yes. the boss, the the leader of Section Nine. And I would say he's standalone... plugged in with all these guy, all these yeah. different agencies and stuff. And I would say standalone complex was designed to be more based on the on the manga than than the Oshi film. The Oshi like he took what he saw as something he could work with for his metaphor, mm-hmm. and then. And made what he made, and it's it's a fucking brilliant film. But the show is a lot more episodic, and as like the comic book is, it's like a case by case basis that right. sort of leads towards an ultimate conclusion. And and that's what I, I like the comic book. I it kind of like a, browsing through the first one made me made me think maybe I need to reread the second the second one that he did because he did two different runs and same thing. Like he wrote. He wrote the first one in the early 90s, like 1990, I think, was when Ghost in the Shell first started appearing in a uh, syndicated, you know, magazine, which is how they all get released over right. there. And then uh, he started making the second one shortly after um, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence came out, like as a film. Hmm. So... And it's like, uh, just flipping through that made me think, oh, wow, I need, need to take a second look through the sequel um, of the manga because I remember it. the sequel to the manga seemed to be a lot more strange and heady. I mean, even the title of it is Man Machine Interface. Like, <laughs> right. it's all sorts of weird stuff going on. I can't even remember who it's really, it, who it's follow, if it's following her or somebody else. But it is a female protagonist. It's not like yeah, the, it's, not, he, okay. He well, I guess like what is it? They say it is the major, but I didn't get that sense from reading the. She like changes her last name or something, and she's like jumping from digitally transferring her personality and capabilities between different cyborg bodies stashed around the world and attacking industrial spies and assassins and shit. And oh my god! Wow. It's like weird. yeah, it's like really weird. I'd have to rewatch uh, the Solid State Society movie, but that seems like sort of a similar thing was going on there. I don't remember exactly the how the conclusion of season two of Standalone Complex worked. Yeah, you know, into I never, that, but I never got to season two. I, I never even finished season one. I just kept like having these weird moments where I'd want to watch it and then not watch it because you know me i i have i personally just can't watch english dubbed anime for some reason it's just something about it well you've you've pretty put a pretty good explanation to it i mean and i think that's that that's pretty sound it is kind of like watching a puppet show at some point with the same six actors doing the same impersonation yeah back then it wasn't it didn't feel as bad i don't know why some like some of those old 90s and even 80s uh, things I can still watch 
dubbed and not cringe and wish I was dying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is. I guess maybe it's because there's only like two companies in the entire yeah. United States that are even putting the stuff well, out. It's like a lot of things. It's a small, small market, and then they get just a handful of reliable actors that. Yeah. Kind of, kind of do their thing, and it's like, oh, you got the tough guy. Well, here's here's your three guys you go to to here's get to the do tough guy. guy. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. you got that guy who does uh, what's his name, the the Spike Spiegel voice actor. Yeah, act. yeah, you get that guy, and he's in everything, and he's always just it's always the same voice though. Like he's just right. really good at making that that gruff. I'm in charge. He's kind of, kind of kind of the H. John Benjamin of, of anime. Of anime, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give him that, although I prefer H. John Benjamin more, I think. Right. But, yeah. I'm, but I'm just weird that way. I really love those Appleseed books. Right. Like, speaking of Masamune Shirao, and he made Appleseed, I think, in 87, 88? Yeah, right. And, and you know, there, that's, there one, a... that's one that I always thought should have a much better anime version than they've ever made. I mean, I think that the the little OVA they made in the '90s, the early '90s, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like. I pref- actually prefer to watch that over that weird 3D cel shaded one that they made two films for. Right. John, what John Woo produced the sequel or something like that. I, don't, I only seen the. I've only seen the OAV and the uh, first, you know, 3D whatever movie. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like those. I don't know, man. Like. I like. I always wonder, like, what would have happened if Oshi grabbed Appleseed? Because <laughs> I feel like Appleseed has a lot of even bigger concepts of, like, because that's talking about you know a utop trying to build a utopian a, a utopian society in a in a bur- the burned out ashes of of World War Three. Yeah. sort of it's like so you've got these you've got your two lead characters who like survived out in the outskirts and just sort of found themselves put into the police force of this place and then you've got all these terrorists and now all this other crazy stuff and it's like that's almost even closer to home with what we got going on in the <laughs> world now than the ghost in the shell stuff is with the technology and whatnot so it's like man that would be an interesting That'd be interesting to see those get get a real like a real treatment, you know. I mean, I think I think the tricky part, and and we'll see what happens here. But as long as that content exists, mm-hmm. then it can always be adapted later. The question is, where's the market going to be like? And yeah. like we already know that the anime market's always been in this state of like. You know, it's now it's booming. Not, not, now, yeah, well, no one has ever wanted to say it was booming. Probably, even when it was, you know, it's almost yeah. like it's always it's always niche and it's always these precious little people talking about how they're they're the best otaku around or whatever. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? And um, <laughs> sound like you've been to a convention or two in your day. <laughs> not really. I think I've just heard more people bitch about it, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, I don't care about the subculture. I just want the stories, you know. I just, I just want... Expo not in in uh, cosplay and just fuck with everybody (laughs) (laughs) hey those kids need a place to have fun i'll give them that but um i mean like it's the sort of thing that makes me wish something like speed racer had done better at the box Uh, office because no 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 like live action adaptation has ever ever taken in the u.s yet and i don't know if that's what that's about because uh, i mean like comic book movies they've been booming for a while and i think 
they've gotten to that point now where yeah, no, they're in the third generation of those, and it's like more bizarre is that the movies that are taking off and are dominating the market are all these superhero origin stories, right? And it's and it's like, well, wait a minute, it's just the same story over and over again. Let's be realistic about it. Like it's they they all have the same structure. They all have the same sympathetic like female romantic lead character it's like they're all the same so so my big question is like when somebody takes something like when edgar wright did scott pilgrim Mm -hmm. it's like and it it did okay but it didn't do as well as everybody was expensive right it It was like yeah it was an expensive movie like they did practical stuff on top of cg effects and editing took a really long time with all the because they created this brand new looking thing Right. And and since it came out it's definitely influenced everything else. But for some reason it just failed miserably. At, like it didn't fail miserably at the box office, but it was still considered a failure. Well, and I think that there's a there's a real obvious reason for that unfortunately. I mean, like I saw that and The Expendables on the same day, mm-hmm. and I I ended up liking Pilgrim a little more than The Expendables even though they're both in my wheelhouse of ridiculous kinds of movies, but that doesn't prevent me from recognizing that mm-hmm. Pilgrim Definitely, I wouldn't say panders, even though, let's be honest, it does pander to a kind of limited niche within within a, a comic book movie that's big tent-ified, if you will. Right. Doesn't necessarily just well, it was say... an anti-comic yeah, book, too, on top Yeah, exactly. Of it. And so it was about, like, these kinds of kids with these kinds of relationships... And there's there's universal theme stuff there, and certainly within the comic, there's a lot of really good. Like this, I thought the stuff with his uh, his relationship with with the drummer was really good, and like when she, he, yeah, the uh, he's he's with he's with her like in the, like in the country at one point, like out yeah. out in the woods where she's visiting her, her dad or something. I, I I mean, stuff like that was uh, kind of got away from it just being about like hey these kids in the city that kind of are fucking around and doing their thing. And not everybody can necessarily relate to that or whatever. So <laughs> I just love that it was like a video game and a comic and an anime at the same time. Like yeah, that's it had some fun it was, with the, with that's the genre what he's making when he drew it. But yeah, you know, it's like and back, but back to the more important matter at hand being anime adaptions. Like that's that's kind of funny. You say like like you wish Speed Racer did better. Like whereas I would counter that with I wish James Cameron what got greenlit for Battle Angel. Well, how did you think that's a question? He said he wanted to make it forever, and he said he was going to make it, but then, you know, now he's just making these freaking sequels to, to, you know... I don't think that you can you can pin that pin that on some suit somewhere because I'm pretty sure James Cameron can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he can, so that's what I'm... What I'm wondering is, like, he knows he can do it, so why isn't he doing it? (laughs) Maybe that's not his passion at the moment. Maybe. Or he's reading the market himself and being like, well... I mean, that's another, I mean, that could be an interesting movie, but I don't know. I'd rather him do, him pour that energy in. There's just got to be something that if they just do it just right, it'll be like, oh my gosh, there's all these great stories. And that's what it always comes down with for me is it's, you know, not to sound like cliche or whatever, but it is the story. It is like the characters and the interactions and it's like, I want to see, you know, and the spectacle of it. And now that, you know, you could do CG effects and stuff. You can yeah. start doing these live-action comic book movies, these live-action animation things, because they are essentially half animation at this point. So, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of ho- actually hoping that this is part of why I really hope that Pacific Rim just blows up. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the the US, USified version of Ava. <laughs> yeah, in a way, like it's it's that, and on top of that, it's like it's it's just impa- an impassioned like love letter to big monster movies. You oh, know? absolutely, like, yeah. I mean, the, even the title fun. is a reference to to the the daikaiju genre of Japan, and including that first viral video they did where they called it Daikaiju Attack or Kaiju Attack in San Francisco. Yeah, that right. was the title of that viral video. So it's like, you know where all of his influence is coming in this movie, and I just hope that maybe it'll be successful enough towards these people that it might open up the, the, the audience even more towards yeah, if, people that ne- wouldn't is... necessarily find themselves there in the first place on their own volition. Yeah, if nothing else, it's a, it's like a, I don't know much about it if it's something like they did it as a comic first or whatever, but it seems like it's a sort of halfway original concept. So mm-hmm. there's that to it. I mean, like I said, it's it's, it's borrowing very heavily from from oh, yeah. things, but but it, it's not like oh hey. It's but you know, like Jim Jarmusch said it best. You can't. There's nothing. There's no way to create something that's that hasn't been done. It's just to tell a story that has that puts your view across in a creative way to make right. it yours. So it it's like so yeah, every everybody's borrowing from everybody. I mean, God, right. back to back to freaking blue people movie. I'm just going to keep calling it that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean, so Pacific Rim is yeah, I'm looking forward to that and yeah. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to the to the new Wolverine movie, which I mean from that first trailer that's what I say about like we're kind of in this third entering this third generation of comic book movies where you're right you've got your origin stories but a lot of these are moving past their origin stories and you're yeah. getting into like this is like the fifth ver- like movie that this character's been in and so now it's not even like it's like it almost looks like more of a from the trailer that I saw it almost looked less like a comic book movie and more like some kind of a action drama <laughs> like a like like a more like they're taking almost like a more straightforward approach to it in a strange way and you keep drawing on all these uh you know people from outside the uh the specific are outside the genre realm i think that's nothing else that's great the fact that what's quote unquote genre movies is no longer put in this kind of um you know relegated corner to, mm. to the high art stuff you know you have someone like um, the guy that did the new Skyfall movie, who generally does these kind of, you know, Oscar Vittori oh, yeah. drama movies, and now he's going to do it, and he de- does a James Bond movie, and you, yeah. um, uh, and all yeah, well, you know, I saw Gus Van Sant do a Q and A for a, an early screening of The Promised Land, and he even said at one point he was being approached to direct the Twilight movie. <laughs> and he was into it. Like, he wanted to direct a Twilight movie, and then it just didn't really happen. It's, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine Twilight directed by Gus Van Sant? I have seen none of those <laughs> movies, but I, I have heard... I mean, those movies heard, are terrible. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I'm trying to imagine him, like, I'm imagining these long, <laughs> you know, right. shots like Elephant and, and Last Days just following these... These teenagers, they're sparkling gold in the sunlight. It'd be pretty ridiculous. <laughs> it would be so, the biggest unintentional comedy on the face of the planet. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, and, and even Oshi's been Oshi's done live action stuff. Oh yeah, he's done, and he's done, and he's done some general. bad movies. Like I will, 
I'll be the first to say I've I've tried to watch some of his more recent stuff and just been like, dude, what what where is this coming from? I liked Skycrawlers. That was Skycrawlers was good. I like Skycrawlers. That was good. A lot. But Assault Girls, oh god, it's so bad. <laughs> like, yeah, it don't seems like most it. of his live action stuff is generally not. I, I, Avalon well, he tries to make his live action stuff sort of look the way, same way that he wants that his, he's able to make his anime look but the thing is when you're using live people you can't like move the camera you can't physically move a camera around the way that you can in an animation in right. an animated film so it's like you can't quite do all of that and I think that kind of uh, it limits doesn't, him it doesn't always translate just to yeah. Be, yeah. Always yeah, I haven't watched any of those the, what, the, the Kerberos Panzer Corps saga or whatever yeah i've heard really watched any of those mostly not good things about those i like jinro though that was an anime i mean yeah I, I don't well think he, he didn't actually that, direct yeah. that yeah the the guy um the guy who directed that though we he we just screened uh his most recent film which is also his first film since jinro oh my gosh it's, yeah it's this interesting film called a letter to momo and it's basically about this girl who's like with her her mother her father died died in a in a an accident or something at sea and and he was writing he had been writing a letter to her that she found but all it said was dear momo it didn't say anything else so and she sort of stumbles upon these three little goblins and it's really strange it's like a kids movie but the animation is stellar right yeah i don't she had anything to do with it i'm definitely sure that production ig did so i always assume oshi had something to do with it since that's basically his company isn't it or I don't know much about the companies and who does or doesn't um, control oh, and no, run them. Oh, it's not. It's, I mean, never mind. I'm crazy. Yeah. He just works with them a lot. Right, yeah, I know. No, he's probably been heavily involved with working with them. Yeah, Pat Labor and Ghost in the Shell. Like, yeah, that's... I need to watch those Pat Labor movies again. Oh, those are a lot. Those are great. I love... Um, I love the... Because what, the, he did the OAV, too. He did the, like, seven-episode yeah. OAV that was ostensibly just essentially a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of sort of more serious like, elements. Super dark, like <laughs> yeah, both the movies get like, uh, and I love that. I love that weird. I mean, it's I, to me, it's not necessarily jarring. It's just kind of like the stakes are raised, and yeah. and yeah, you see moments where like you know the the guy who's sort of their goofy commander like is, is in a really stressful situation in that second movie, and, yeah. and I I don't know. I like that. I like I like seeing characters that kind of. Don't do anything till it's like okay. Now shit's getting real, and I got to do something about it. I remember that. Yeah, that's that was another great. Just like you could see where he was. Oh yeah, Pat Two is really good anime, with with just his animation quality and style. Like the first one was 1989, and it still looks like it looks fantastic. I think even today, and yeah. a lot of stuff from the 80s doesn't. I mean, like Akira still does. I think because it's all oh, yeah. hand drawn, and and there's it's. It's just that attention to detail, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Major attention to detail. But yeah, Pat, Pat Labor 2 is really good. I mean, it's got a lot of similar stuff to Ghost in the Shell in terms of like the the, the same guy did the music. And so you see these these lyrical musical moments where you're mm. seeing like, like, like the environment and you're seeing, you know, smokestacks yeah. or whatever else. And the characters are talking about kind of the politics and... Uh, and diplomacy and all and all these things and relating one thing to another and so yeah. see, seeing how it all connects uh, and so yeah yeah that that's that's a good one definitely worth revisiting if you haven't seen it in a while at least yeah. the second one 
Yeah. The first one's good too. Yeah, I mean, I never watched the OVA either or the any of the series stuff. Um, yeah. I think the only thing I've ever seen is the second movie. I remember watching a little bit of the first movie and being like, what year was this made? And <laughs> like, 89? Really? 89? Like, yeah, that's surprising. You know, it's not a movie like, say, um, Rauj and Z, as much as I love Rauj and Z for the story that behind it, it, mm-hmm. it definitely looks like the time it was made. You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have that sort of timeless quality, I think, that right. that some of these uh, these other sci-fi films have. It's only so many, but oh well. Yeah. If, if they were all like that, we would lose appreciation for it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's definitely. definitely true. So I guess to put a cap on this, uh, I don't know. Sometimes we I, we we rate stuff on on the podcast. I do we do it out of a five star system, which I love oh, because right. that means. Because that means that you can um, say something is really, really good while still acknowledging that nothing is perfect. As opposed to like a four-star system where you kind of feel compelled to give something you really like four. Yeah. It's just like saying it's 100%. Well, and I mean I would give – I would definitely give it, – it's hard for me not to give Ghost in the Shell a five-star. But I would definitely give it a four-star for sure. Oh, absolutely. Because it's I mean I – Because it is one of those movies that that – I just always find myself wanting to come back to like at least once a year, if not, if not more often than that. I, again, whenever I mention it to somebody and they, they say they've never seen it, I feel like compelled to make sure that they see it. You know, like <laughs> it's one of those movies I feel like I wish everybody that I know has seen so I can talk to them about it because it's, right. it's just a movie that interests me that much. Definitely. You know? Definitely cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, I mean, really, it just comes down to nitpick stuff for me. And mm-hmm. I, I, if I really stop and think about it, there's not a lot there. I mean, I, I did just see it mm-hmm. a couple months ago, and I'm trying to think of if there's any real issues or problems or concerns I have with with the movie. And I don't. I mean, they're all just things that, like that's not what the movie is. You know, like, it'd be nice to have a little more with Aramaki. Yeah. It'd be nice, basically, if the movie was about another 20 minutes longer, just for a little bit more, a few more little moments and stuff. I mean, you end up getting stuff like that in the TV show, and that's why I love the TV show. But, but yeah, I mean, so it's, there's nothing inherently wrong with, with the yeah. movie. And just the style, and like you said, it's, it's got this sort of, it's got this real high artistry factor to it. Um, yeah. That I, def, I definitely dig. Okay, so anything else you want to say? See this goddamn movie. <laughs> like, that's all I can ever say. About it's definitely worth seeing, and it's the... It, I get all weird about, like, time and place for things. Like, this is not a watch on a Tuesday afternoon in the sun because it's at... No. Even though a lot of it takes place in the daytime, I, I you know, watch so it watch, it, watch it at watch night. Watch it at night. Maybe with a, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If, yeah, you know, I was about to say, like, maybe watch it at night with a beer, but no. No, I wouldn't say that either. I think it's one of those movies you want to watch with a super clear head. And just like absorb, let let yourself be absorbed, and let the movie and absorb the movie right. yourself. Sometimes the best the best cheat around that is just to make. That's why you watch at night because then you're kind of a little tired and you're just a little shifted. You're a little. I'm a little more open to being immersed into things when I'm a little bit more tired hmm. because you kind of like you kind of fall into some kind of weird brain state where <laughs> your brain just can't be it can't be anxiously worrying about too many other things from the day it kind of just lets you focus yeah i mean i've had nights where i've just stayed up until four in the morning watching movies all night and 
And it's like, and people always ask me, they're like, how can you watch that many movies in one night and not have them all fused together? And all I can say is, I don't know, my brain just works that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, it takes all kinds, right? Yep. It's all kinds. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. I don't remember taking acid. What's going no, on? No, it's not me. No, that was just me doing it.